This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Always delighted to speak to our next guest on a football Friday, the one and only Justin Adams over with CBS News Colorado. Justin Adams TV is the handle on social. See how I'm doing that, Sandy? No, I'm just saying social instead of like Twitter or X. See, I'm, I'm learning. It takes me a few times, but uh, but I get it. Uh, Justin, of course, a former player for the Sea Buffs. He'll also be uh, over on the radio call this weekend because, uh, you know, the man knows his football. Uh, he's calling CSU Pueblo the uh, Thunder Wolves, if I'm not mistaken, at Adams State. Uh, how's it going, Justin? Oh, doing well, guys. You know, anytime I can read the news of somebody making $10 million just to go away to another team is always a great day. How do I get that job? Who do I have to tick off? You know, I'm trying to figure that out. Because I will do I, it. Well, if I get like three sacks, but if I could also be hurt for the majority of the season and, you know, play only six games in a year prior, maybe that could do that. Okay. Maybe I could be able to be worth $10 okay. million. I'm hurt for the majority of the season. All right, I'm halfway there. I'll take five. I'll take five. How's that? <laughs> we have the, uh, obviously, a, a huge game for the Colorado Buffaloes coming up. They are now on the road at Arizona State. They are not only not going to be on national TV, which for the Buffaloes all of a sudden is a new thing, but they are expected to go on the road and win up until the the game against uh, Nebraska changed after the opener against TCU. This is really the first game in which the Buffaloes all the way around have been favored to win. That's different. And the pressure when you're expected to go on the road and win as a player, what does that feel like? You know, it feels very different because the one thing that you know is that you're going to a hostile environment and you know that you are someone, you are going to be somebody else's A game when you are the team that is favored. I'll give you an example. In 2005, we played against Oklahoma State and we were able to beat them 34 to nothing, by the way. But we knew that this was a game that we had to win against uh, Oki State if we were going to go and uh, win the Big 12 North that season. But we knew we were going to get their best shot. We knew that they were going to do everything they can in order to try to win that game. And so, obviously, they weren't able to do so that day. But with the Buffs, you're looking at a team in Arizona State where their last home game was against USC, and that was a sold-out game. Now, they're coming back midday game, and this one is going to be sold out against a team that, just as we saw last week, is it as good as USC if the score shows? Um, well, we know we know that, too, with the rankings as well. But you know you're going to get everyone's best shot. So when you go in there, you cannot go in there saying, oh, we're not playing a top-10 team, so we should be okay. If the Buffs play like they did against Oregon, and if they go into a game like they did against Oregon on the road, they will be beaten in Tempe. That is something that leads into my question to you, which is, did we perhaps make too much of their comeback against USC 
last mm-hmm. week. And apparently the odds makers have decided and the betting public has decided that maybe most all of us did make more of it than it really was because this morning at uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, the Buffs were favored by four and a half. Yeah. They're favored by three and a half I, now. I just checked. Yeah, that's yeah, we, we just checked. And this is the first time in any game that CU, much as they've been big underdogs on multiple occasions, has been less favorably received by the odds makers in the days leading up to the game that people are betting against them. Now, at Arizona State, and at least saying that's going to be a tricky game, and if they win by a field goal, yep, it's still a win, but it's going to give further ammunition to those who believe there is a significant gap between the head coach appearing on the cover of Time magazine this week and the actual quality of the team on the field. Yes, and it's um to me, I never say this is a trap game, but think about this. The Buffs are sitting at three and two and have beaten a ranked opponent already this season, TCU. They're going on and taking on a one and four Arizona State team that has so many different injuries on the team. I think they're down to their third quarterback already. Right. That's true. And you're looking at them and you're saying you're only a three-and-a-half-point right. favorite on the How's road. And, oh, well, one of the ways that it is is that it goes back to the rule I always say every week, and I could just repeat myself and just be honest with you. It's always the I don't trust the 18 to 23. And I think you're spot on, Sandy. Uh, there yeah. are so many people who look at the end of the game and say, hey, if the Buffs didn't make those mistakes against USC – if they didn't give up that block punt, if they didn't have these explosive players go right up against them, they will win that game. Well, I'm here to tell you that if the game is tight, who's to say that USC doesn't do something exactly. differently offensively? Exactly. Right. And that's yes. really the biggest thing is that people saw the comeback. They saw everything so close and the way that it was so exciting. They said, hey, the bus, they have arrived. They're right there. And it's kind of weird when you go into a locker room and after the game, everybody's saying, hey, you, have, you didn't give up. You have great fights. You're right there. The reality is you still lost by seven. So hopefully that complacency doesn't stick in and the guys don't think that, hey, we have, we arrived, we're good now because we play tight against a top-10 team. Again, you will find yourself losing this game on the road. I don't care who's the quarterback if you don't take care of business. So it's very important for the Buffs to get off to a fast start because that's something that they haven't done since TCU. Right. Correct, and I haven't seen them, and Shador Sanders has alluded to this. I haven't seen them since TCU play in quite the same way for four quarters as they did in every respect at Mm -hmm. TCU. They were both 10 points ahead and behind on three separate occasions in that game, and they didn't waver at all when you would have expected after it was 24-14 CU and they fell behind 28-24, that's it. They won't get blown out, but they're going to lose. And it's okay. Well, they didn't lose. And I don't think they've quite been able to recapture that. What is undeniable, and it's the easy angle that's still being pursued, $7 million in tuition revenue added. Merchandise sales up 800%. Uh, the endorsement uh, by Dion of uh, 
Blenders Eyewear, mm-hmm. has netted the company $4.5 million. All that stuff is undeniable and in and of itself justifies the hiring of Deion Sanders. But <laughs> this is still, though talented, a very, very thin team. And we saw the effects of some of that last week, although on the good side, contrary to his criticisms of these two freshmen, Miller and McLean, if not brilliant, were arguably the main characters along with Shadur Sanders in a CU comeback. Yeah. Let's go talk about Miller for a second. He made his first reception with 701 to go. In the third quarter, he ends up leaving that game against USC with, what, seven receptions, 196 yards, and a touchdown. That's just ridiculous for a true freshman to be able to come in and do that. His first reception was a 65-yarder. So you just saw, okay, this young man can really play. I really thought Kobani McClain did a fairly good job in his first extended action, especially when he uh, knocked down the pass against Brendan Rice. And he was beat on a slant route and was able to use his length to be able to go through Rice's hands and knock the ball away. So that's the good part. But again, we got to go back to this. You cannot find yourself down by a large margin again. And that's exactly what the bus did the last two weeks. And to be honest, you can even say the last three weeks when you throw in that CSU game. We're not saying that was a huge margin, but at one time you find yourself down by 11 late in the game in the fourth quarter, and you were able to come back and win that game in double overtime. It just goes back to this. My biggest key to this game, Sandy, is simple. you got to go and score. you got to go and get an opening possession score. They haven't been able to do that since TCU when they first forced a three and out, and they were able to go down the field and go up seven to nothing. If the Buffs aren't able to go and get points in the first quarter, they'll find themselves in a lot of trouble in this one. One of the things that they managed to get to do, done, even though it took a little bit uh, against USC, was getting the ground game moving. And uh, as you get start to see maybe Alton McCaskill return to health, obviously they've, they've had great performances from Dylan Edwards. It seems like that's even things out. But let me read to you really quick what earlier in the week uh, Arizona State head coach Kenny Dillingham said about Shadur Sanders, quote, I actually recruited him out of a high school when I was at Auburn. I was super impressed. Seeing him put it together in college doesn't shock me. He's just an older version of what that 17-year-old was. Cerebral, smart, has great poise about himself, similar to Caleb, meaning Caleb Williams. Very hard to get uncomfortable, and even if you hit him, he gets up. The next play is the next play. That seems to be maybe Shadur Sanders' biggest strength, is the idea to flush the bad plays and go right back at it like a relief pitcher in baseball who gives up a home run. The problem is, at least thus far, as you've pointed out, it feels like for the Buffs ever since week one, it keeps happening in comebacks. And for Sanders, he keeps calm, cool, and collected during comebacks. It seems like being able to have that mentality in the first quarter and go get it is sort of the next step in his evolution as the quarterback. It is, but it's also a team effort, right? So it's not yes. just the door centers that have to have everything being put together. You have to make sure that your line is communicating and you don't give up a sack. You have to make sure that your wide receiver does a slip on third down and long, and when you have a first down that's right there for you, he slips Xavier Weaver, and that's how you get the ball intercepted. You have to right. make sure that you have guys who are able to go and hold on to the football to do that, right? And so, I mean, there, there's several different things that's interesting to me. I'll say this, guys, and I'll pose this question to you. And, again, here's another true freshman that's on his team but had four touchdowns in the first game. 
what happened to Dylan Edwards being out in space and getting open and using that speed that he has and making things happen out there on the field? It feels like it's been a while since we've seen one of those big plays from Dylan Edwards. And so that's another player that could be able to go and do something. Overall, it's going out there, say, your first 15 to 20 plays. Can we be able to put something together and put some pressure on the opposing team and not find yourself down seven to nothing? Can we be able to go on halftime actually up in a game and not have to go and make those adjustments to be able to climb back into a football game? So those are several different things that I'm interested to see on Saturday. I will say this, though, and it's kind of the – same thing we said about CSU after the CU game. CSU found its quarterback. Now, we knew that Shador Sanders, I think going into the season, was going to be very good. He's turned out to be exceptional. And, uh, you know, something happened on Saturday. Again, this doesn't have a lot to do with the winning or losing of the game. But there were national people in the press box on Saturday, including Peter King of NBC, who for the first time in his 40 years covering football, wrote a column on Monday that led with college football, that led with Deion Sanders and the CU Buffs. And among, I thought, the most salient points he made, and he made a lot of good ones, he says, CU's got a quarterback, Mm -hmm. and he's going to be a great pro. Because he sees things that NFL quarterbacks sometimes don't see. So yeah. that is a certainty. They they have a quality quarterback. We know that. So going going forward in this game, if the Buffs get a fast start, I mean, it, it, it seems like they could put this away early, Justin. I mean, basically your best guess, based on what you've seen in all these games, how does this one go? Just you know, give us a general prediction to the Buffs. Jump out to the start we expect them to, and then they look like a team that's going to easily win six on the season and get to a bowl, or do they struggle and then realize that this Pac-12 schedule is a very, very different animal than the right. one that, that yeah. a lot of people expected? It's a little bit of both, honestly. Yeah. I mean, immediately after the game was over against USC, I looked on the schedule and I said, well, this is going to be an ugly win for the Buffs." And everybody was like, no, you just see what they did. They put up 41 points and all this other stuff against USC. Like, they're going to be fine. And it's like, guys, this is literally the way that college football goes, where you're a team that's looking to truly find its way, and that's what the Buffs are doing right now. It screams to me 26-21 in every way. might even be 26-23. to One of those scores you look up and you're like, how did they go and get to this score? Because the Buffs are going to have to hold on in this one. They're going to have to get a defensive stop in this game very late in True. order to be able to win. And that's the way that this game feels to me. It's going to be an up-and-down game. Um, And I hope that they're ready for it. I really hope that this team isn't looking ahead and saying, okay, we got Arizona State, should be a W. We have Stanford, definitely should be a W at home on homecoming. So we should be fine. But I'm here to remind you guys, when you go on the road, truly anything can happen. And you're looking at an Arizona State team that is going to be charged up because as much as Colorado is looking at this game and saying, this should be a win for us, Arizona State, a team, by the way, that won't be making it into a bowl game because they have that um, self-imposed one-year ban on bowls. They're going to look at this game and circling and saying, this is one of our bowl games of the year. And the other time they're going to say that is when they take on Arizona, their rival. So the Buffs yes. better be ready to go yes. in this one. Good, yes. good year to pick your one-year uh, ban suspension when you start one and four, too. Smart, right. uh, <laughs> yeah. smart play there. Uh, yeah. l- last one for you. We will turn our attention to the Broncos. If the Broncos want to even have a – uh, 
an argument that they might still be a playoff team. They absolutely must beat a Jets team at home that they'll be hosting. The problem is, we've broken it down before you came on, this Jets team with Zach Wilson at quarterback beat this Denver Broncos defense with mostly the same guys who were playing better last year. How do you see this game going? A lot of people locally seem to think the Broncos romp. I don't think Sandy and I see it that way. Curious what you think. Broncos romp? How? Like, like what? what, what? Yeah. Guys, but because you had a comeback on the road against Chicago, Chicago, you think that you're going to but come Chicago back But Chicago won and... last night. They're secretly good, aren't yeah, they? Right. No. Yeah, well, the, the, when they're not making dumb mistakes <laughs> and late in the game and go, not going for well, a fourth and one, you know. Yeah, uh, and maybe it says more about how bad Washington is. And right. the Broncos, 30-plus points against Washington, looks pretty piddling now, doesn't it? It really does. And it just goes back. Look, the Jets, let's go with what we do know, guys. The Jets defense will travel. The Jets running game will travel. But you could be able to run the football against the Jets. It seems that way. It it would seem that way. I think that's the main thing is it seems that way. And sometimes you can really get caught up in that. And you have to look at, okay, how was the game? Um, Were they down? Were were teams trying to throw back, you know, throw to get back um, against them on this one? Right. For this one, for the Broncos, look, it is establishing the run to get things started overall. You have to make Zach Williams look like uh, Wilson, rather look like a guy who honestly should have been a seventh round draft pick and not the number two pick in the draft several years ago. So you have to go and figure out a way how to be able to go and get this W. You traded Randy Gregory, so your young pass rushers they have to go and step up and go and make some stops. And you know what? It's going to help out immensely to have Justin Simmons back into the lineup. Josie Jewell, he should be back as well. So you have a lot of your guys back in there. This should be a game that you should win, but it screams to me 16-13, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't feel like a game that's going to get over 20. It's like the first one that gets to 20 wins. Yeah, you know, any of yeah, these guys yeah, to be I agree with that. So. And I so agree with that. I would say maybe 16-13, maybe 20-17. Yeah. The Broncos are able to yeah, pull this I, off. I, I think you're on the right track. Well, and, and I, I'll give you one more, guys. How about this? I think Russell Wilson will have one of those patented drives at the end in order to help out the Broncos be able to win because, let's be honest, the wide receivers aren't getting a lot of separation. And when he can make things happen and scramble around, especially late around, late in the game, that's when we see his best magic. I could see the Broncos doing something like that. He is Justin Adams. Make sure you give him a follow on social at Justin Adams TV and check out everything he is doing over at CBS News Colorado. And again, check out the uh, CSU Pueblo Adams State game. Justin will be on the call for that as well, a little RMAC action for you. Thanks for the time. Hey, fellas, always a pleasure. Be blessed. All right, thanks, Justin Adams, joining us. And uh, I, th- I think we're kind of on the same wavelength there, that the first team to 20 is going to kind of win this game. But you guys both brought up the idea that uh, you can run on the Jets. I'm not entirely convinced. <laughs> I have some numbers that might indicate the opposite. I'll share them next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I want to remind you that you don't have to bet with the big boys this football season. You can try a hand with the local book. That's Superbook Sports. And Superbook Sports is the book next door. They're just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. Now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code MILEHIGH. 
Pretty sure you can remember that one. So bet with the best and use promo code MILEHIGH this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. But while we're on that, Sandy, the Broncos are favored by two and a half points at home over the Jets. That is essentially a wash for the most part. Uh, That's about what home teams tend to get favored in general. That would be basically the equivalent of saying this is a pick game. The idea that the Broncos can run against them is challenging because Javante Williams is questionable and may not even play. I would suggest he doesn't play, and here's why. Because we haven't seen the burst. We've talked about that, right? Now, the strength is still there, but we haven't seen the burst. But running directly into the line of the Jets is a bad idea. The Jets in expected points added on defense against the run is negative .16. That's the seventh best in the league. Now, can you get them on the outside? Yeah, a little bit. But just crashing into the front of their line is a recipe for disaster. They have to be able, as as, uh, you pointed out earlier in the show, the Broncos have been honest about saying the toss plays have kind of been the best thing working for us. Okay, well, this is a game that if the Broncos are going to get it done on the ground, it's not going to be Javante Williams that does it. It's going to be Jaleel McLaughlin, and it's going to be dump-offs in the flat to Samaje Pirine, getting them in space because the Broncos line against that Giants front seven in Jets particular, front. Jets, yeah. pardon me, Jets front seven. Uh, Giants which, front would be a difference. Uh, yes, it would. But the, uh, the against that that Jets front seven, to which you know Sean Payton referred to as heavy, correctly so. Yes. Uh, that's not something the Broncos are well built no. to do. No, and you would have to think that the Jets will have more answers for McLaughlin now that there's actually yeah. more there's footage. film, tape on him, footage on him. Um, played a lot more the other day than he's played, what, 35% of the snaps. And mm-hmm. I know that much of that had to do with the injury to Javante Williams. But I, I, I'm i just, I'm a little disappointed with Pirine. He hasn't really shown me uh, much. He hasn't done very much. Uh, and putting him out in space, I don't think the Jets will have much trouble handling that. McLaughlin has been a handful, and there were a couple of plays the other day against Chicago where he put his right foot in the ground and made a cut between defenders. And I know Chicago isn't real good defensively, but those are major league moves. And I understand that by his own admission, in addition to critiques from the coaches, he is not the world's greatest pass protector. But that's not why he's in the game. And if you want a pass protector in there, go with two backs. They've done that. You haven't have P. Ryan pick up the place. Mm-hmm. They've got to find a way to make McLaughlin as much of a factor as he's been. Now, the funny thing is that we have seen in Sean Payton offenses before, we have seen Sean Payton function with two back sets, and we've seen them function well. So Sean Payton can and has done that in his past. In fact, a lot of his offense have had two backs in it. So I think there there's a possibility that he can do it if he wants to do it. But I'm with you. I think we need to see for a change how that comes along. Because, yes, I, I firmly believe that if McLaughlin is, is in there the whole time, it, it's going to get exposed because the pass blocking just isn't there. And it isn't there because, in part, his size. It also isn't there, in part, because he hasn't had the reps. Uh, all these things are the truth. 
This is a, a, a guy that when he was in college was not asked to be blocking or picking up blitzes. It's, it's relatively new to him. It's not as if he's unwilling. It's just that he's not ready. And it does feel to me like a game in which a, a two-back set would be immensely valuable. Yeah, I think so. And, and we've seen Burton in there as the fullback, and we've seen him in, in roles in which he's caught passes or which he's blocked. But I think, yeah, this feels like a game where you need both your backs, McLaughlin and Pirine, and you need to be able to design plays where both of them can function. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I, I also think it's a game where Jerry Judy has to show up and Cortland Sutton has to show up. And, you know, I, I think the supporting players at the wide receiver position have actually been reasonably good as much as you could fairly expect but i think both sutton and judy have been major disappointments again and you're talking and i i know they're missing a key player in reed in the second yes they are uh, dj reed will be out and his backup brandon but Eccles out sauce as well. gardner is still playing yep and presumably neutral whether it's judy close to one or of sutton he's going to take one of them out of the game feels like it and it hasn't been that hard to take at least one of them out of the game, and sometimes both of them out of the game. Um, I am guessing, and I could be wrong, that Sauce Gardner would play Jerry Judy. I, and I they, they would try to eliminate Judy, uh, who's either eliminated himself or has not been able to regain the rapport with Wilson that he actually seemed to have as the only Bronco receiver who had any rapport at any time last year with Wilson over the last six games of last year, that has not come back. And I know he was hurt, and maybe that disrupted some things, and Wilson has found other ways to be effective. And I think it's fair to say Wilson has been effective. Exceptional? No. Effective? Yes. And that's without and, and, and maybe top three more, a little more than effective based on the lack of pass protection which is actually worse, worse than, last than year. it was last year, if that can be believed. Yikes. And his receivers are no better. I, I'm not saying they're worse, but they're not any better than they were last year. McLaughlin and Mims have been their big play yeah, guys. Absolutely. And Wilson has been able to get the ball to them both when they've been out there. Now, the rationale for not playing Mims more on offense perhaps comes through the fact that he's playing so much on special teams. And he's been very good apart from the fumble last week, which really didn't do a lot of harm. And they won the game. Right. And he's been good on special teams. And, yeah, the kickoff return for a touchdown was hardly noticed because they were being embarrassed so much on the other uh, side of the field. But that's not his fault. <laughs> it, was, right. it was still a kickoff return for a touchdown, which is a rare thing. In NFL football, circa 2023, as, as we all know, kickoff returns for touchdowns. Punt returns, yeah, you'll see more of them. Kickoff returns, that's, I think, within five years, that's going to be completely well, yeah, thing you, in the past because yeah. the kickoff is going to be a non-play. Right. You're not going to have it. Right, I agree with that. Mims and McLaughlin are by far their most dangerous players. And... Again, I go back to the hockey analogy. When you have people with that kind of speed, uh, it is somewhat akin 
to criticizing the 40-goal score because he's not checking and saying, well, I can't play him because he doesn't check. Man, he's scoring 40 goals. That's not what he's out there for. I don't care if he can't check his luggage. All right? He scores 40 goals. These guys are not only fast, they're productive per touch. Right. More than any other Bronco offensive player. Get them in the game and use them and make the Jets account for them. And that probably means playing a little bit more than the 35% of the time that Mims played and the 33% of the time that McLaughlin played last Sunday. And, and again, I, I get it. I know there are deficiencies with both. Neither will be getting any awards for blocking, but they're playing positions where there are other things you're looking for. Well, even other, even other things that it, that you look for before blocking. It, it, no. It, they're there, they're there to go not, get yards. Mims is not Rod Smith quite yet. No. But that's also <laughs> not, what he, that's not what he's there that's for. That's not a way why he's there. And, and he wouldn't have been available for you to draft yeah. with the, what, 63rd pick? Yeah, if he was, pick. if he was a fully complete player. If he player. was a complete player. But he's leading the NFL in yards per catch. That's, <laughs> I mean, what did you want out of your guy that's played know, four and, career and, games? And on a team that, you know, still scores touchdowns, yes, in the first quarter and last week in the fourth quarter. But otherwise, the second, third quarters, they don't score a lot of touchdowns. Get them into the game. Don't don't just use them as as spot players. What does it say about? And I guess I guess I mean on a I, team I, that's so slow. And I know the answer. I think these guys yeah. are fast and athletic I guess and I'm productive. Most speaking important. hypothetically in that regard, or rhetorically, I should say, because yeah, I think we do know what it means when you have an undrafted rookie and your rookie draft pick as not only your most explosive players but simply your most productive players. The the idea of what we've tried to kind of get across, I think, all offseason, Sandy, for Broncos fans that are surprised that you got Sean Payton and how come this team isn't lightening it up because they figured that was the fix. We tried to make that clear. It's, it's because the roster itself isn't that good. And I think with all due respect to Marvin Mims and Julio McLaughlin, and, and they've been tremendous. And I actually think both of them would be putting up similar numbers on any other team. I think they'd be weapons that be, the teams would be excited about. But on the Broncos, they're the two most dangerous offensive players. That's an illustration of how shallow the Broncos yes, roster really is. Yes, And uh, they're young on a team that isn't young. They're fast on a team that's very slow. They're athletic on an unathletic team. And I'm not saying that playing them both on 60 to 70% of the snaps, presto, now you go from averaging 25 against basically bad defensive teams to averaging 30 and, and you know, putting 27 to 30 up against the Jets on Sunday, as Justin Adams just said a few minutes ago. That ain't going to happen, okay? Now, if, you know, listen, there could be eight turnovers in the game, and that could drive the score up. But 
you know, the, the Broncos are getting a star back in Simmons mm-hmm. and a regular back in Jewel. Although I think this, that's, that, that, that knocks your team speed down. But Sanders, to be fair, also... Well, he runs himself out right, and and the and again we talked about that with Sanders too. I coming out of out of college, the the knock on him. In fact, it, I talked about it in training camp. Well, that's why he's a third round pick. He he makes the big plays, the pop off the screen, but yeah. he misses too many of the plays you're supposed to make. Right, and yeah. he does We've at this that. point. He runs himself out of plays. We, we, Athletic is great, but he's he's not ready. And the truth of the matter is, Jewel, despite his physical limitations, is the better choice right now because the Broncos with a lack of team speed, cannot afford making big mistakes, misreading a play, finding yourself out of position, then you're really asking for it. Yes. And, you know, the great Joe Collier, one of the great uh, defensive minds in the history of the NFL, would not play guys who didn't fulfill their assignments. And what I'd loved, among many things about Tom Jackson, for example, undersized, explosive, dynamic, but also never out of position. Smart player, always in the right spot, even with the athletic gifts he had that he could have rested on and had a very fine career. He had more than a very fine career. We know as a diagnostician, Gratishar was without peer. Yes, we get that. straight up, yes. But we also saw Joe Collier play people like Carl Mecklenburg all over mm-hmm. the front seven. Four, three, three, four, he played every Didn't spot. Matter. Every spot. Every yep. single spot at one time or another he played. It wasn't because he was the greatest athlete in the world. It was that he had mastered the technique of all seven positions and was never out of position. Now, could he run down Marcus Allen from behind? even though Allen wasn't the fastest guy. No, he couldn't do that. But could he light up Marcus Allen in the backfield? got him, yeah. A fraction of a second after he got the handoff? Because he he saw it coming. He could do that. He could do that. So, you know, we're talking about Buckus yesterday. And the thing about Buckus was that he was strong and before his knee or knees went bad, fast, And he had a mentality that even during those times where there were fewer restrictions on how you could hit people, it was exceptional, right? But the most important thing about Butkus was that he was smart and had great instincts. And on plane rides back in the day to road games, while everyone else was playing cards on the plane, he's studying the game plan. He knew everybody's responsibility. That's why he could get up in a meeting, tell the head coach to sit down, that he had something to say, and be taken seriously, and then do a drop the mic, and the meeting was over. And he had just said a few words. But he had such respect, and he had respect not only because he was a great player, but because he knew everything about it. And it was, at one time, 
before Dick Butkus went five years without talking to George Hallis, and the same thing happened to Mike Ditka, but it happened earlier with Ditka, where if you had said in 1972, who's the most likely early 80s Bears coach that's going to take him to the Super Bowl, <laughs> you would have gotten 100 votes for Dick Butkus and one vote for Mike Ditka at that particular time. What was Mike Ditka? He's a special teams coach. Dick Butkus played on lousy teams, and he was better than the head coach. He he would have been more qualified to be the head coach than some of the head coaches. They the Abe Gibrons and the Jim Dooley's and the, all the rest, Neil Armstrong's and all those guys who were coaches around that time. But you look at the great linebackers of that era, Bill George, who preceded Dick Butkus and was a great player in his own right. Sam Huff, Joe Schmidt, and Mike Lucci of Detroit, Ray Nitschke of Green Bay, Leroy Jordan of Dallas, Tommy Nobus of Atlanta, Nick Bonacotti of the Boston yeah. Patriots and later the Miami Dolphins, yeah. Al Atkinson of the New York Jets, a key player in their Super Bowl three upset win, one of the great upsets in the history of at least professional sports. Willie Lanier, championship middle linebacker of the Kansas City Chiefs. What did they all have in common? They were the smartest people on the field. The Denver Broncos are going to have to find a way to completely change the way they have played defense, or they will lose to the New York Jets and Zach Wilson for the second year in a row. We'll take a look and give you our predictions of how we think it'll go next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. After the Randy Gregory trade to San Francisco today, the Broncos move up from the, they basically trade their seventh round and Gregory for a sixth rounder for the Niners in 2025, which, you know, at this point will, I don't know, move them up 10 spots. I mean, we'll find out. They are spending 10, or pardon me, the 2024 drafts, the next spring's draft. Uh, they'll move up maybe 10 or spots or so, but they'll eat $10 million of the salary to do it. Correct. Interesting in that, though, Troy Rank of uh, Denver 7 reports that P.J. Locke will take that roster spot. So for the Broncos, having Locke maybe getting closer to returning yes. will help because we talk about one of the issues with this Broncos defense, and it quite simply, there's no way around it, is team speed. That will matter in this game. And trying to break this down is interesting because I think the Broncos, I think, quite frankly, both teams' offenses have the advantage when they're on the field. The question is, how much more of an advantage do the Jets have against a Broncos defense that has been abysmal, though it will get presumably Josie Jewell and Justin Simmons back. That's a big difference right up the middle versus what Russell Wilson, who's played rather well, can get against the Jets' defense. I don't think either of these teams, and it's a weird spot because we talked about it with Justin Adams earlier from CBS News Colorado, feels like a game where the first team to 20 probably wins. But the offenses, at least to my mind, have the edge in both cases, yet it still feels like neither of these teams yeah, are going to score I, that many I, points. I agree. I agree. And I'm, I don't think it'll be 16-9 to 9 the way it was last year, but I, I don't think it's going to be a shootout. 
uh, with combined point totals in excess of 60, 65 points. I, I, I don't see it. I suppose it could happen. Uh, I think both teams will be looking to avoid losing the game. Now, that's kind of what one and three teams mm. do, especially when one one and three team is going up against another one and three team. Rule one is don't beat yourself. Let the other guy beat himself or let the other guys beat themselves because they're one and three. So they've already been doing that. To a degree, that's an interesting way of putting let it. Them, let them, let them. This is going to be who avoids themselves, right? Okay. And you know, some of the indicators uh, we talk about the Chris Landry formula uh, of years ago, um, which works between seventy and seventy-five percent of the time in uh, uh, coinciding with uh, the outcome of a game, and it has to do with pass completions and rushing attempts. Add those two numbers. And the winning team, about three times out of four, uh, between seven out of ten and three times out of four, the winning team will have a higher number of pass completions plus rushing attempts than the losing team. By the same token, and at about the same percentage rate, the team with a passer who has the better passer rating will be on the winning side. And that's both fall under the category of don't beat yourself, pass efficiently, and get in front so they can run the ball 30 to 35 times. Both these teams have speed guys that we've seen produce. Brees Hall, we all remember last year's 62-yard uh, touchdown right. jaunt, which really was a Jaunt is a nice way of, of saying it. Yeah, it was, it was a sprint, no. but it was a... Uh, yeah. And McLaughlin has shown similar game-breaking mm-hmm. capabilities for Denver and an ability to turn a play that looks like, you know, a nice play, 5-10 yard play, into a 20-yard play. And last week, that 20-yard play was an 18-yard play, to be precise, and it was a touchdown play for the Broncos. I think that's what both teams want. I think both teams feel they run block better than they pass block. Um the Jets have made some interesting moves along their offensive line, and they might be gaining some confidence in Wilson as Wilson is gaining confidence in them, and Hackett is having Wilson roll out a little more. Mm-hmm. But I still think it'll be a game decided by mistakes, and both teams will be trying very hard not to make them. Um, Explosive plays, 10-plus yard runs, 20-plus yard passes. Neither of these teams have had a ton of explosives this year, but both teams defensively, especially the Broncos, have given up a lot of explosive 14.7% of the opposing plays have been explosive plays. The Broncos on the offensive side, only one carry over 20 yards. Uh, That's McLaughlin, of course. Of course. Uh, On the receiving side, there have only been 11 Plays over 20 yards. In four games, that's not even three. Five of them go to Mims in yeah. his nine catches. Yeah. Uh, more it, more than one a game. It's not a an offense that's been explosive. And if you want to nitpick Wilson, who I think is night and day better than last year, it is the fact that, yeah, he's not really going downfield. Now, at the same time, 
waiting too long, holding the ball, trying to go down the field was actually part of the reason that Wilson yeah. had a, such a bad sure. year last year and took sure. sacks. And got so sacked. you could make yeah. the argument that Wilson has made the adjustment that, that basically the Broncos needed him to, that he is taking what the, the defense gives him. The most him. discouraging thing about the Broncos this year is that Wilson has been better. We can quibble about how much better is better, but almost anything would have been better than yes. last year. Okay. Questionably, the notably better. disappointment for the you know, I, I suppose defense is suck. Okay, and that's that's a lot to put aside. Biggest disappointment is the offensive line. Unquestionably, And the pass yes. protection specifically, which has actually statistically been worse amazing, through given four the games spent. than it was through 17 games last year. It, it was just hard to believe that, that the pressure rate against Denver is about 39.5%, and it was 35% maybe a little more than 35% last year. That's a that's a pretty big increase, though, to go from 35 to almost 40% the yeah. other way, the wrong, wrong way. way. Yeah, it's a problem. You talk about those explosive plays, too, give you a, just before we sneak out of here. Cortland Sutton has 20 catches, a grand total of 54 yards after catch. Jerry Judy has 11 catches, a grand total of 46 yards after the catch. Neither of these guys are even averaging four. Sutton isn't even averaging three. There's no, there's no yak in LeBron. And, and guess attack. what? No go, yak. Go look at the NFL today. You want to know how teams win? Yak. The best teams' offenses, that's how they get Miami wins. Miami Dolphins, get San Francisco space, 49ers. Have them create. Tyreek Hill, Christian McCaffrey. Thank you very much. That's how it happens. Uh, the Broncos have to find a way to get it done. Sandy, quickly before you go, do they get the win? Or are we coming back here looking at a one of four Broncos team on Monday? The Jets, 20. The Broncos, 17. Ooh, I think the Broncos will do a little better, but I am concerned. I have them winning 23-17, so I have it flipped a little bit. We will find out on the bright side. Uh, one of us is going to be right and get to hold it over the other on a Monday. So thanks to Justin Adams for joining us uh, from CBS News Colorado. Give him a follow at Justin Adams TV. Danny Bailey in the booth making everything work. As always, thank you, Danny. Thanks to you most of all. Our listeners, whether you're listening on the uh, FM, the HD radio, milehighsports.com, Get them all on the My Life Sports app. And all of you listening, by the way, on the podcast, great podcast numbers. Thanks to everyone who's been subscribing to the podcast. You can keep that going. And easiest way to do that is through the app at Well. We, we can go ahead and get those that easily or anywhere you get your podcast. Subscribe if you missed the show. And we'll be there on demand for you. Have a safe and enjoyable weekend. Uh, good luck to all the uh, local teams. Great weekend of sports, college football, pro football, baseball, you name it. Lots to enjoy. So enjoy this fall weather. We want to have you back here on Monday. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Have a safe and enjoyable weekend. It was time for us to go, but you should keep it right here on My Life Sports. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. 
Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.